Isn't that cute? It's just great. Merry Christmas again, everyone. Thanks for making through the ice and all that coming out today. I don't know if that's exactly the white Christmas we all were hoping for, but I'll take what we can get. And man, did you think that llama out there was pretty hilarious? Oh, that their llama cracked me up. Looked like two guys in a costume. That's so that's hilarious. I'm really, really glad you guys are here tonight. I want to say Merry Christmas. It's been I know it's been a really busy season. December is always like that, isn't it? It's just a, a rush of stuff. We try to cram so much into those three, four, five weeks that are post-Thanksgiving and all the holiday parties and all the planning and all the extra stuff you got to do and all the Christmas shopping and all the present wrapping. Not that I know how to do any of that part, but I know that it takes a lot of time. It's really busy. It's a crazy month. And then we get here to some worship services at the end of the big buildup to Christmas Day, and, it, and it's good to be here. And it feels like it's kind of the end of that season. We've all been waiting for, looking forward, kind of the end of that. And I, I want to spend a few minutes talking to you today about how I think Christmas should be, can be, not just the end of something, but really the beginning of a, of a bigger, better season than that. And not like another season of burden and stress and guilt, but a new season in our relationships with God. I, I think Christmas can be the beginning of what we all want and need most in life. I mean, Christmas is a birth story after all, right? It's usually the beginning of something, not the end of something. But it is easy to miss that, I understand. I know that my wife Amy and I, as a matter of fact, like many young parents, missed that when we were expecting the birth of our first child. Our daughter Evangeline's 11 years old now, so like 12 years ago, we were in all this expectation. We were looking forward to the arrival of a baby, and we just planned and planned for that, right? And there's a big buildup. Amy read books on pregnancy and nutrition and delivery. I think I read books on pregnancy and nutrition and delivery and planned the route to the hospital. We took classes to get ready for the big day, you know. There were like multiple classes in a row that you paid money for, classes to teach you how to do something that every human being has been born like this since the beginning of humanity, right? And they would teach the father how to be a supportive dad in the delivery room. Okay, future dads-to-be, little, let me save you 100 bucks in a couple weeks, okay? Sit down, come when you're called, and don't turn ESPN on the hospital television. <laughs> Thank me later for that one. And then our baby was born, right? And she arrived, and it was one of the most beautiful days of our life. It was the day that changed everything for us. A day and a half later, the hospital staff and nurses, they helped us make sure that we had buckled her into her little infant car seat there in the delivery room. And then we, they, they walked us out to the car, and I had to bring the car up to the curb because they had to watch you snap the car seat into the car. And you're not allowed to leave until they see you properly install the car seat in the car. And then you drive away at 15 miles an hour, right? <laughs> Surrounded by lunatics driving the speed limit. <laughs> and then you get home and you go, oh, <laughs> oh, it starts now. That's not the end. This is the beginning of a whole bunch of new things. Christmas can be like that, right? There's this big buildup. It's the big thing at the end of the journey that you can't really see past because there's so much happening before it, but it's not really the end of something. Christmas is the beginning of something. And it's the beginning of many things, probably. But I think probably more than anything else, Christmas is the beginning of us getting to know what God is really like. What God is really like. We all have our pictures of God and what we think God is like has a profound impact on our lives. There are people in the news these days because of what they think God is like. And there's some people in Paris not that long ago who did some terrible things because of what they thought God was like. There's another couple people in San Bernardino, California, right here in our own country, who did terrible things because of what they thought God was like. There was a guy in Colorado, I'm sorry to say, who shot up a clinic 
because he thought he knew God in a Christian way, God forbid. I mean, what you think God is like can have a profound impact on the shape and direction of your life. And I I hope that none of us in this room ever make the news in any way like that. And yet what we think God is like can have a profound impact on the shape and direction of our lives. I mean, I've got friend after friend after friend who grew up learning to think that God was the kind of character who pulled all the strings in their lives, made every little event happen, and if you believed in God, then God would hold up his end of the deal and never let anything bad happen in your life. And then I watched one of them get cancer or their kid get cancer or read about some disaster in our part of the world or another, and they go, what? It was a lie? I was believing a lie? Enough of that? And then probably the biggest hope they could have had in a pretty dark time is gone. And what you think God is like can have this profound impact on the shape and direction of your life. A lot of us grew up coloring a lot of shades of guilt and shame into our picture of God. And whether we had the concrete picture or not, we learned to think of God as someone with like a wagging finger and a scornful face and a constant demand for more. And it was never enough. And depending on the environment you grew up in, maybe you kind of associated that with like an earthly father for whom nothing you ever did would be good enough. And eventually you just said, enough of that. Who who needs more of that? I'm walking away from that. And then sometimes what happens in our lives is that we not only pictured God like that, but we kind of became like that. And it's a natural thing to have happen because when you never get any grace in life, honestly, it becomes a lot harder to give any grace in life. And so it turns out that not only did your picture of God start to break your heart, but it began to break the hearts of the people in your lives, the people around you. So what you think God is like can have a deep and profound impact on the shape and direction of your life. And like, we could go on and on like this. There are probably as many different ways to think about God as there are people in this room, maybe as there are people in this world. And as we gather for Christmas today like this, we have a lot in common in this way with the people who gathered for the very first Christmas, the very first Christmas Eve, before they knew that they were gonna call it Christmas Eve. The people who were there when Jesus was about to be born, they thought they knew what God was like. The people who knew Jesus when he grew up, when he was an adult, when he taught and led and called followers, they thought they knew what God was like. And then Jesus entered their lives. And then Jesus entered their world and they met God in the flesh, the word of God made flesh, the presence of God dwelling among them. They met God face to face and they came to find out what God was really like. And I just want to to give you a question to think about here Christmas Eve. In fact, just use your imagination with me for a second and think, what would happen? What would it be like? What would I learn if Jesus entered my life? Right, I mean like in a literal way, if the person of Jesus came and took you out to dinner and had a conversation with you. If Jesus worked in your office, if Jesus moved into your neighborhood and when you were both done shoveling your driveway, you talked after What would happen if Jesus entered your life? What would it be like, what would you learn if you could meet God, if you could meet God face to face? What would you learn? I think one thing that we would learn is we would learn that God is not a God of guilt and shame. God is a God of incredible grace. And have you ever heard the stories? Do you know what happened in Jesus' life? Have you heard the stories of the incredible grace and love and mercy and invitation and healing with which Jesus encountered people who had screwed up, people who had sinned, who had messed up in life, had hurt their lives. The incredible grace of Jesus, it's beautiful. 
He did this all the time. And it would sometimes start, he did it so much, it would infuriate other people. It would frustrate them because Jesus was so gracious. There were other religious leaders in Jesus' day, people who were more religious than Jesus. And by the way, think on that for a second. People who were more religious than Jesus would sometimes get infuriated because of how Jesus would spend so much of his time with sinful people. And so they would ask, why are you doing that? And they would ask his followers, his, the people he was apprenticing, his disciples. They would ask him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes? They would always say. And Jesus would answer them over and over again. He'd try to tell them because of what God is like. Because this is what God is like. And he would tell them stories to try to change their imagination. Because they had a picture of what God was like. They thought that this kind of behavior was beneath a man of God. It was beneath God. Must be because of what they thought God was like. And Jesus would tell them stories to try to recast their imagination. One of his most famous stories was about this very thing. He told this story about a guy. He said, imagine there was this father who had two sons. And one of those sons took his father's money. Basically, he said to his dad, I'll just take my share of the inheritance now. I could care less if you were dead. Give me the money. I'm going to take off. I would like to live my own life. I would like to make my own decisions, live my life on my own terms, make my own mistakes, get up when I want to get up, go to bed when I want to get to bed, have friends that I want to have. And so he did. He went off and lived his own life his way. He got to make all of his own mistakes as much as he wanted. He wrecked his life and he went for it. He slept around, partied hard, made terrible money decisions, ran out of money, wrecked his life. Finally got a job, but it was a terrible job, something he hated doing, made him feel terrible about himself. He is rock bottom. He's hungry and lost, doesn't have enough food to fill the refrigerator. He says, what am I going to do? And it dawns on him. He goes, there are people who are working on my dad's farm, entry-level positions, slaving away from my dad back home, who have it better than I do. I mean, at least they got something to eat, place to sleep at night. So he plucked up his courage, and he decided to go back home, and he prepared a speech. Have any of you ever been in a place where you had to prepare a speech before you could go talk to somebody, you know, you had to really get it set. He prepared what he was going to say. And he thought about it. And he's like, okay, I'm going to say, Dad, I, I sinned. <laughs> I, I screwed up. And I know that I could no longer. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I get it. But if you could just give me a job. Like, just let me sleep out back, work out the fields. I'll sleep in the barn. I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he gets up and he goes home and you know, I don't know how far home it was. Jesus, it's just a story. Jesus said it was a far country. Probably took him days to walk back home. And he's going over the speech in his head, right? Dad, I, I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I know I'm not worthy. Have tapes like that ever played in your head? Right, I'm not worthy of the Father. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not. Stuff like that runs around in your head. It breaks your heart. This guy's walking the road back home. He's playing that in his head and he gets there and you can see the father's land. You can see the father's estate while it's kind of still a long way off. And he looks up and he sees a large man running at him down the driveway maybe, right? And he gets close and the guy's arms are up in the air, right? And what's he gonna do? Is he gonna meet me at the property line and go, uh-uh, never again. You do not cross that line. And he gets right up to him. He's got his arms up. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna hit him? Is he gonna yell and scream? Probably thought so. Throw a punch. Throws his arms around him. Hugs him. Kisses him, for goodness sake. Jesus said he kissed him. He said, I love you. And you are my child. You are my son. And you always will be, no matter whatever terrible, disgraceful choices you made. 
you always will be. And he communicated it to him by giving him a robe, the signs of sonship in the family, ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. And Jesus said, that. That's what God's like. That's why I do what I do. You want to know? That's why I do what I do, because God is like that. Come to think of it, why don't you do that? What, what must you have thought God was like? What would happen if Jesus entered your life? What would happen if you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, unshakably to the core of your being, that you were loved? That you were loved and that you belong. And you didn't have to earn that from people. And you didn't have to impress them. You didn't have to hope that people would like you or love you or accept you or that you do something so that you could belong. You were loved permanently, deeply, by the figure in the universe who matters the most. And you're good now. You're secure now. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You're loved. What would that do inside of you? And not only what would that do inside of you, but what do you think that would do through you? Like what would happen in your relationships if that began to be reflected in your life? When you get grace and you're able to give grace. Just imagine what would happen in your friendships if your friends began to think of you as a person of incredible grace. Married people. Not to imply that you're not perfect already. But in your marriages, what would happen if your spouse began to think of you as a person of incredible grace? God, make it so. Those of you who have kids, parents, what would happen if your kids began to think of you as a parent of incredible grace? Life-changing, transformative, deeply loving grace. Jesus said that's what God's like. That's what we would learn. That's what we would encounter when Jesus enters our lives. We learn that God's a God of incredible grace. We would learn that God is a God of incredible compassion, that God sees the people nobody else sees. Have you, have you heard the stories of Jesus' life? Have you ever heard how he spent the time and energy, his attention, the moments that made up his life, the most precious resource anybody has? Spend it on people that didn't matter to anybody else. You read the stories of Jesus' life, he spent his time having conversations with, talking about God with loving people who everybody else thought was the wrong race, that people thought was born in the wrong country, with people who were incurably, terminally, sometimes kind of disgustingly ill. He spent his time with people who were too poor to matter in the decision-making of the powerful. He spent his time and his attention on people who were what we would now call mentally ill or mentally handicapped, who didn't at first glance seem like they had a lot to offer back. And Jesus saw people that nobody else saw. They mattered to him when they didn't matter to anybody else. And he gathered all of us people like that and made us a family. Found out that we were loved, that we mattered, that we had worth, that our souls were worth something. What would happen if Jesus entered your life? And you found out that you could never be invisible, that you mattered, that you had infinite worth, unsurpassable worth to the unsurpassable one who made the universe. And then what would happen if it dawned on our collective hearts, on you individually and us together as the people of God, that the people who don't matter in the math of this world matter to God? Man, you think that would change stuff? Probably that changed stuff in me. I think it changed stuff in us. And maybe actually that's one of the biggest things we'd learn about God if Jesus entered our lives. That God changes stuff. 
that God makes a difference. I'll be totally honest with you. I think this is probably the thing that I missed when I was putting together my picture of God when I grew up. This is what I somehow managed not to put together, that God changes stuff. And I think that's probably why earlier in life I found God so uninteresting, just irrelevant, like matter of no consequence, kind of vanilla. No offense to the vanilla fans out there. Just didn't seem to matter very much. And then Jesus entered my life. And holy cats was I wrong. And I felt Jesus inviting me into a life that was different. Into a life of consequence. I felt Jesus inviting me into a life of risk and sacrifice. Into an adventure. Into a life that I could not foresee the end of. I felt Jesus inviting me into a life that would have different priorities where different things would matter most, where I would live for something different with the moments of my life, with the most precious resource that I have, that I would value relationships differently, that I would form different relationships, that I would handle myself differently in them, that maybe I could use the one precious life that I have on this earth to make a difference in my tiny little corner of the world now and forever. Have you ever made that same mistake that I made? To think that God is just, I don't know, a good idea. Something out there that you can use to make you feel better when you need to feel better. A theory that kind of works for some people that teaches morals to kids or something. It doesn't really change much. What would happen if Jesus entered your life? What would happen if you met God in Jesus? And, you were, and he was standing there, eyeball to eyeball with you, and you saw eyes full of incredible grace, life-transforming grace, deep compassion, and fire, and imagination, courage, and conviction, and vision, and dream, and invitation. And he stood before you and invited you, practically dared you, follow me. Follow me, and I will lead you into a life with heights and depths you never could have gone to on your own, where what you live for is different, where your values and your priorities are reordered, where the relationships you, cha- where you form change, where how you handle yourself in your relationships change, follow me into a life you never could have crafted, where you could live your one precious life on this earth, because you only get one go round at this thing, where you could live your one precious life on this earth to make a difference in the little corner of the world where I have planted you. Man, I sign me up. I want that. I want that life. I want to know God like that. And I want that for you too. And I believe that Jesus has entered our world, has entered our lives. This isn't some thought experiment, some little game we're playing here on Christmas Eve. It's Christmas. That's what we're here for. Jesus did enter the world and he did change stuff. And he has come and encountered us and offers you incredible grace. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what choices you've made that seem so terrible and disgraceful in your own eyes, Jesus said the Father is right there, arms up, not to throw a punch, but to throw him around you and say, you are my child and you always will be. And you matter to me and I see you and you have worth. You have unsurpassable worth. And I want to call you into a mission where you reflect me to the world where you would see other people and ascribe to them unsurpassable worth, where you would live your life as an adventure of following Jesus. Christmas is not the end of something. It's just the beginning of something. I want to invite you to respond to Jesus' invitation, to receive Jesus when he says, follow me, come receive this life. Don't miss the beginning of something here 
Christmas 2015. And I want to finish today by just offering you, I think, just a practical next step that I think could be really helpful in this journey with Jesus. It's a journey that we're going to share together, this whole church family, First Lutheran Church, starting on Sunday morning, January 10th. We're calling it Restored. It's a journey together about being restored in our relationship with God and knowing what God is like and being restored in the shape of our lives and being restored in community together. Start Sunday morning, January 10th. And, and I'll tell you why I believe that it really could be so helpful to all of us. I believe that because a group of friends and I actually already started trying it together. We've kind of tested it out. I like many people here at First Lutheran, I'm part of a community group. And around here, that word means we use that to describe kind of a smaller group of friends who just share and grow in life together. It's not, in case you're new to First Lutheran, this isn't like a pastor thing. This is just a learning to follow Jesus together thing. And back at the beginning of September, we started talking about this same stuff. And now every Sunday night with a couple of weeks off, since the beginning of September, we've gotten together with our kids. We have a lot of kids in our group. There's a ton of chaos. And we have dinner and we sit down and we talk. And we've had some of the most important conversations and experienced vibrant spiritual growth and gracious life challenge, unlike I've experienced almost anywhere else. And now this is the journey that we've decided to share with our whole church family, starting on January 10th, and I want to invite you into that. I want that experience for you also. As Jesus comes in front of you on Christmas, as Jesus enters your life, as Jesus enters our life together and invites you to follow me, take that next step in your journey with Jesus and see what new season God wants to begin in your life. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, you are good. You are all good and you are all love. You are full of grace and compassion. We know this because you haven't stayed away and let us figure it out and make it up. But you entered our world. You came and dwelled among us in the person of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would help us to see you. That here you would help us to see that you are a God of incredible grace and deep compassion. And a God of life transformation. And God, I pray that you would send your spirit. Just come to us, God, by your own personal presence into our lives and direct us. Fill us with your grace and fill us with your power and make us new. As you were born in Bethlehem millennia ago, Jesus, be born in us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.